0: Ohio Secretary of State Frank LaRose has COVID, which means the entire Ohio Redistricting Commission was exposed to COVID as they worked on their deadline Saturday. We hope they're all okay, but I do want to point out that if they had done their job in the first place, they wouldn't have had to be together on Saturday. Another reason to do what the voters asked you to do the first time around. We'll be talking about the redistricting on Today in Ohio, the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. I'm Chris Quinn. I'm here with Lisa Garvin, Layla Tassi, and Laura Johnston. And we're all being very cheerful today because it's sunny in Cleveland. <laughs> and no more shoveling <laughs> for now. <laughs> yeah, right. Dream on. It's never gonna all right, it's let's going to end. It's been
1: snowing for like a week. I think we can
2: handle it, guys. <laughs> I know. it's. I don't know why everyone's talking about it. It's No, it's Ohio. Let's it's just anywhere. Other,
0: other than Wordle, it's the only universally shared experience. <laughs>
1: uh,
2: well,
0: we can talk about Wordle
1: too. Yeah,
0: I just yeah, let's I'm let's obsessed. Get moved. <laughs> <laughs> How are some of the big supporters of the corrupt House Bill Six in a position to further help First Energy, the utility that funded the scandal with 60 million dollars in bribes? Laura, this was a bit of a jaw-dropper story from reporter Jeremy Pelzer in our State House Bureau. It, and it's astounding that this is going on. I can't believe this is allowed to happen. I know.
1: HB6 is the gift that just keeps on giving because more than a third of the council that picks the nominees to the Public Utilities Commission Ohio, which is supposed to have, you know stand up for consumers, it consists of men who backed, lobbied for, or even co-sponsored House Bill 6. There are 12 members. They get to nominate someone new for the PUCO soon, which, and that, that group, is obviously they're supposed to be picking the best people for the job. So Dan Conway as a Republican. He's five-year term on the PUCO, expires in April. And the nominating committee is scheduled to meet February 4th to interview people who submitted applications by the January 20th deadline. So if you wanted to be on the PUCO, you're a little bit late for this round. But the people who are on it, this includes the chair of the nominating council, Michael Corin. He helped First Energy lobby for the passage of HB6 in 2019. Also includes Dave Wondolowski of the Cleveland Building and Trades Council. He was a supporter of HB6. Those are both the wine appointees. And there's also former state senator Lou Terhar. He's a Cincinnati Republican who cons co-sponsored house bill six he's the appointee of good old senate president matt huffman and then there's steve cuckler a former householder aide who was appointed by a householder and house speaker bob cup is letting him keep the job even though householder's out of office
0: We should remind people that Juan Lasky is that level-headed, sane man who stood on a stage last November and said he was going to kick the bleep out of Justin Bibb in the election as he supported Kevin Kelly, a very intemperate thing to say. I, I just don't get how the machinery stays in place that has been so clearly proven to have broken down. First Energy completely corrupted the halls of government in Ohio. We get revelations by the month, by the week. The trial is going to be coming up for the first round. We expect indictments on more people any day. How do you have people that were involved in getting that thing passed have any hand whatsoever now in regulating utilities like First Energy?
1: That's a very good question. I still don't understand why we're subsidizing coal plants in Indiana, but The machinery has stayed in place for a very long time. It's taken a lot of work to dismantle parts of it. It took a long time to get Householder out of office. And the thing is that Mike DeWine doesn't have to accept whoever. This group decides to put forward for names. He can ask for a bunch of new names. Which right, but he stop, did.
0: but stop, but stop. He's the guy. I know. I was going to say that. Sam right. Randazzo, it's not like he's a big Got check. millions and millions of dollars that First Energy says were bribes, even though he hasn't been charged with a crime. We wonder whether he's now cooperating with investigators. So Mike DeWine has zero credibility when it comes to regulating utilities. He defended Sam Randazzo even as the FBI was raiding his home. The former attorney general, Mike Dwight, said, I see nothing to show that he's done anything wrong. Usually when the FBI is raiding your home, that's a pretty clear sign.
1: Yeah, no, I I don't disagree. I, I would say that DeWine is not a good backstop when it comes to the PCO. He did initially reject the list of four candidates the last time there was a, an appointee, and then he ended up picking one of the next people, which is former Franklin County Common Pleas Judge Jennifer French, who is also a Republican. She took over as chair, but you're right. I mean, DeWine, he's the one who appointed Wandelowski and this Michael Corrin. He could Probably put them on the, you know, put some pressure on them to resign if he felt like that was appropriate. and
0: Like he did with the state school board candidates that were, we're not going to get <laughs> that's confirmed. Tr- that's should, true. We should point out there is a candidate running for governor, the Cincinnati Mayor John Cranley, who has said very clearly he will blow up the entire system for how the PUCO is put together and how people are chosen. He's the only candidate, to my knowledge, that is saying He will rip that thing to shreds and rebuild it from scratch. And voters ought to know about that. This is the worst scandal we've ever seen in the statehouse. You're listening to Today in Ohio. We weren't sure about this yesterday, but now we are. What are the next steps in the process for finalizing legislative maps? And Lisa, I imagine this COVID exposure that we talked about at the top of the podcast is a wrinkle in what
3: the next steps are oh God I hope not because time's a wasting but yeah the the next step is that the the Ohio Supreme Court will get these maps for review but as of yesterday they have not received them there's another deadline coming up although I'm not sure whether it's today or tomorrow but the plaintiffs have three days to file their objections plaintiffs including the League of Women Voters the ACLU and a Democratic redistricting committee among others but uh, since the maps were approved Saturday, I don't know if they count Sunday as one of those three days. Either way, the plaintiffs will be filing their objections either today or tomorrow. And of course, the maps have to be passed in time for the May third primaries, and we've got a candidate filing deadline uh, for on Groundhog Day, and there are other filing deadlines as well lawmakers seem reluctant at this point to move the election or the deadlines, you know, but they're thinking about relaxing the petition requirements for candidates because they have to get like 50 signatures in their district or whatever to run. So, uh, so that's kind of still up in the air. We may have a later primary. We just don't know. But in this latest, you know, round, the Democrats have said and are still saying that the maps don't meet the partisan neutrality standard and miss the 54-46 proportionality goal, which they believe is a goal. The Republicans do not. Um, The GOP says, well, you know, but the concentration of Democratic voters in Ohio among, you know, in suburban and urban areas makes it impossible to create proportional maps. And it violates. violates uh, rules against compactness and splitting up communities. But they did point out, and rightly so, that there is really no wording on what exactly is a safe district. So, yeah, we'll see what happens.
0: I, I don't think the Supreme Court is that worried about the filing deadline because the justices know that the legislature, if they have to, they can move it. I think the Supreme Court has shown it's going to very diligently look at this and make the rulings that are... In the best interest of Ohioans, I feel certain, well, I feel mostly certain that the people that filed the lawsuits will object to the current maps so that we will see another opinion by the Supreme Court. But we will have to see. It is today in Ohio. We've wondered repeatedly what the very crowded field of candidates in the Republican primary for the U.S. Senate in Ohio can do to stand out from other candidates who all stand for pretty much the same things. Josh Mandel has come up with one solution. Laura, this is pretty interesting. In addition to all his really awful, (laughs) miserable things that he tweets, this seems like a pretty good idea.
1: Yeah, he forget about trying to stand out from all the other Trumpsters he's running against in the primary. He's going to debate a Democrat. He and Morgan Harper, who's an activist and attorney, attorney, are scheduled to debate 7 p.m. on Thursday at North Columbus Baptist Church. The event is going to be co-moderated by the church's pastor. This is a man named Dan Wolven. He's a state director of a conservative ev- evangelical organization, mm-hmm. as well as Cassie Young, a co-founder of a progressive Columbus nonprofit news website. So you've got both sides of the coin here. And they can both unite in their opposition of Tim Ryan, who um, Morgan has been trying to get to agree to a debate for months. And Mandel could end up facing later this year in a general election.
0: I love this idea because there is nothing out there to help the the Republican voters distinguish. These guys get on stage, they all say pretty much the same thing. You know, it's fiction, the, the stolen election and all of the, the polarization. But, but it's hard to, to discern who, who do you vote for. They're all spending millions of dollars on their campaigns. To actually get on a stage with a Democrat will give josh mandel a chance to stand out it sounds like they're both going to attack tim ryan because he's the the likely person that that will both will face Mm -hmm. but uh it's an interesting tactic because you haven't really had genuine debates so far
1: it'll be interesting to see what happens with a you know moderators who are not pretending to be down the middle but are definitely partisan mm-hmm. and what kind of questions get asked and
0: mm-hmm.
1: if they're going to be attacking each other or attacking their primary opponents.
0: Well, they've all, look, they've all been desperate for attention. You know, Bernie Moreno tried to get one of our reporters to accompany him to the border. And it's like, okay, we're not doing that because if we do that, every candidate will then say accompany me somewhere. They're all desperate. They're, they send us tons of press releases and emails that all say the same thing. Give credit to Josh Mandel. He came up with an idea that will make him stand out. It's today in Ohio. Why might independent management of the Westside market make the historical site A better attraction with a better chance of long-term success. Layla, people love to talk about the West Side Market. It's this Cleveland icon. And Mm -hmm. for years now, it's been fairly moribund. It doesn't fit the current way people buy food and the foodie culture. So how might independent management, which would suck some money out of it because they got to make a profit, make it better.
2: Well, listeners will probably remember Courtney Estolfi's reporting last month that the consultant that Frank Jackson had hired to take a close look at operations at at the market was pretty much ordered to steer clear of the recommendation that the market be managed by an independent nonprofit. Well, now under new mayor Justin Bibb, that option of contracting with an outside market manager is is very much on the table. So Bob Bob Higgs took a look at how that has worked in other cities like Cincinnati, for example, and and what would be the benefits of such an arrangement here in Cleveland. First, an outside manager would be able to devote the staff that you need to run the place. You'd need at least eight positions. Market manager to coordinate staff development and interact with the administration, a tenant coordinator to work with the vendors, facilities manager, a leasing officer, marketing and communications leader, and fundraiser. At Cincinnati's Finley Market, they have several dozen people doing those jobs. And the same is true for the reading terminal market in Philadelphia. In Cleveland, the consultant found that the market tends to fall into disrepair because there's really no devoted maintenance crew as well. Mm -hmm. The market has to rely on the city's workers. And so when dozens of swimming pools, for example, are being serviced by the public work staff, it's hard to get some attention to the market when there's a plumbing issue or, or what have you. So, you know, if Finley Market is our example, there really could be terrific benefits to the outside manager system. When when the corporation for Finley Market was created in 2001, half of the vendor spaces were empty. About 200,000 shoppers visited each year. But since the corporation took took it over in 2004, occupancy is at 100%. And the market drew 1.2 million visitors in 2021 and finley does things like you know they operate these programs to help new food businesses get on their feet so there is you know there there we really could get a lot uh, ben- a lot of benefit out of you know adopting this sort of model
0: Okay, so you know how every time I say the word water, I give up my South Jersey, Philadelphia (laughs) roots, and you all laugh at me. For the sake of every Philadelphian who's listening, and there are a bunch in Cleveland, it's the Reading Terminal, not the Reading Terminal. You wouldn't know that because you're not from there. But Mm -hmm. at least I'm recovering from my water disaster. Look, I I always wonder when you bring in a third party, they have a they have an additional interest. They not only do they want it to be successful, they want to make money on it which right now you don't have in the system. Right now the city owns it. The city doesn't have a profit motive. They just want to run a good market. But it is interesting that with something like the Reading Terminal, you can turn it around while the third party makes money, and maybe that's the way to go. Right. For some you reason, gotta spend
2: money to make money, right?
0: Well, so. well plus, let's face it, City Hall is not uh, progressive in its thinking. It's very, very traditional. I mean, Frank Jackson and his thinking about assets really kind of slowed us down on things like Berkeley for an airport and others. This is one where you got to think differently. This does not match the habits anymore. People are not going to the West Side Market to get what the food they want in the numbers they used to. And so it has to change in such a way that makes it more attractive to a wider group of people. And maybe that's why you just need somebody that thinks differently to come in Mm -hmm, because traditional mm -hmm. thinking at City Hall can't do it.
2: Exactly. It's working elsewhere. I think it's worth a try for sure.
0: All right. You're listening to Today in Ohio. We are all dealing with it. So we're going to spend some time talking about it snow, both the good and the bad. First, a bad one a terrifying one, really. How did a snowplow driver on the Ohio Turnpike create treacherous conditions Sunday, resulting in a lot of damaged vehicles and I guarantee you a lot
3: of adrenaline? Lisa, what happened? Yeah, this is like every driver's nightmare during a snowstorm. There was an Ohio Turnpike, or there was a a a snowplow driver driving on the Ohio Turnpike. He was going westbound near Sandusky at mile marker 114. And he had his like wing plow, uh, you know, uh, deployed. So as he was driving westbound, he was throwing all this snow over the median into the eastbound lanes of traffic. And apparently from reports, he was not driving slow. He was driving along with traffic, which would have been like 40, 50 miles an hour. And let, let
0: me stop you. Let me start, because there's a video of this, and he was going really fast. And and it wasn't just slush. It was like chunky slush. It covered all of the lanes on the opposing side Mm -hmm. of the turnpike. It was amazing to see it. So
3: go ahead. Yeah, of course. Yeah, because a lot of that earlier plowed snow turns into chunks of ice. And so what happened was these cars driving, you know, got stuff thrown into their windshield. Forty cars were damaged. A lot of cracked windshields. There were accidents caused as people rightly freaked out over this. Uh, 12 people went to the hospital. I don't know how many are still hospitalized and, uh, you know, and how serious they were. But, you know, if something cracks your windshield, I mean, that can kill you if something comes in through the windshield. So the driver was immediately removed uh, from the road and he was tested for substance abuse. He's currently on administrative leave as the investigation continues. And if this elevates to a crime, we don't know, but the Erie County prosecutor is reviewing the case for possible criminality. But yeah, that's scary. And, you know, we were talking yesterday about snow and me coming from Texas. I'm amazed at how many people leave all this snow piled on the top of their cars, which comes off into your windshield as you're driving behind them. So, yeah, it's just it's kind of scary. But this this is one I'm, I
0: drive the turnpike a good bit because my my son and his family live in Michigan. You're going 70, 75, 80 miles an hour on a dry road, flying down the road, and all of a sudden, you hit a patch that's just completely covered with ice. And you could see cars as they did that were spinning out of control while their windshields were getting smashed into pieces. I don't know how the plow driver couldn't see it, but it it would have been terrifying to encounter that. And it lit up Twitter. I mean people were yeah. talking about this because they couldn't believe it. I mean, there was the one, the one
2: driver who spun out and just narrowly missed impaling the car on that guardrail. Oh, yeah. You could just feel the, you know, the 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 life flashing before that driver's eyes. It, most terrifying video I've seen in a long time.
0: Wow, well, when you're going 75, 80 miles an hour and all of a sudden you lose traction, you're that, that you shouldn't be driving like,
2: that fast in the snow. Come on, guys.
0: there's, there's no <laughs> snow though. It was a dry road. Yeah. The road was dry until oh, this man. guy covered it with a unbelievable story. Uh people can check it out on Cleveland.com. The snowplow driver is one kind of viral story, but in Lakewood, we have a much more heartwarming viral story. What delightful creature had people smiling in the snow over the weekend, Laura?
1: This is a unicorn. It's a little bit of a mystery. We don't know who's under this inflatable pink plastic costume, but it's pretty awesome. A person dressed as an inflatable unicorn grabbed the neighbor's attention It's they worked their way down Wager Avenue snow blowing the entire sidewalk for the for the whole street and a neighbor took a picture posted it to facebook with the caption such an awesome community they said they'd last seen the snow blowing unicorn on christmas day in 2020 so it's a a rare sighting (laughs) and no one's quite sure who it is but i mean i had friends text me about it on sunday i think people were just like looking for something to smile about
0: yeah i put out a morning note every day about stories we need to be working on and i intentionally did not include that one because i knew reporters would find it and then editors couldn't complain that we really quinn is really wants us to chase a pink (laughs) unicorn so (laughs) i I feel
1: like this should start a whole new trend of people wearing halloween costumes to clear their driveways and the sidewalks i mean if you have the inflatable unicorn you can get the inflatable dinosaur and they just like they look so ridiculous you can't help but you know it, it makes your day
0: Everybody was was talking about it. Everybody got a smile. It's like the woman that went out in the snow last week, the Sunday. Yes. You know, yes. it's just it's something to lighten the load as we go through the January gray dreariness.
1: Like you that said, snow it's sunny out week- right now.
0: <laughs> that snow we got over the weekend was not in the forecast as we closed out the work week. And that's the second time in a week that forecasters did not protect the snowstorm until it was just about upon us. Normally, they're pretty accurate a few days out. Layla, what are we missing?
2: Well, reporter Alexis Oman reports that apparently it was an Alberta clipper that was behind this surprise snowfall. That's, that's a low-pressure system that originates from the north near Alberta, Canada. It typically drops uh, southeast through the upper Midwest, Great Lakes, and Ohio Valley regions. And when an Alberta clipper moves south... It it often moves so quickly that it doesn't have time to gain a lot of moisture, and that often causes traces of snow, or, or at most, a couple inches. But a region can occasionally get dumped on, especially with Arctic air moving snow dry, you know, making snow dry and fluffy. That's what we got uh, on Sunday, and probably that's what was happening yesterday, too. I mean, it still seems like you should be able to predict that kind of thing. Uh, I don't know, but I guess it, could it be because it's a weather system that moves so quickly that, that you know, the forecasters
3: missed it? I and, don't know. And tra- don't track, know, track rely- changes, too. They change tracks at the last minute.
0: Yeah, I've been relying on forecasts for five years to decide when to drive up to see my son in Michigan, and until this year, you know, I felt pretty confident that they get it right, but the last two weekends, we considered going, and I was really (laughs) glad in the end we didn't, because the surprise snowstorms would have made the drive very treacherous, and on Sunday, I might have run into that crazy (laughs) snowplow.
1: I like that, when all else fails, they can just blame Canada.
0: (laughs) Yeah, well, that's that's a good thing to do finally we answered a simple question about snow is it safety laura i'm surprised we asked that one and that was not my idea but the answer is interesting what is it
3: yeah
1: it does sound like it could be a chris quinn idea but this was a peter kraus story <laughs> all on his own so he asked the ohio epa if we can eat snow and the answer according to them is no the groundwater is not treated to meet federal and state safe drinking water standards but i mean eye roll here. Pete asked Dr. Ryan Marino, a medical toxicologist with university hospitals who knows a lot about chemical exposure. He had a slightly different answer. He doesn't recommend it, but he says it's not going to be harmful in small amounts. So obviously don't eat yellow snow. Even the kids know that. And you know, pick a pristine area of your yard if you're going to make a snow cone out of it.
0: It's funny because I haven't thought about eating snow in decades, but as a kid, I think most people do, right? Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, I don't specifically – my niece actually last week was trying to eat it at Boston Mills, and I was like, no, no, we're not going to eat the snow that ski, has been skied on. Like, that's probably not your best idea. But, yeah, snow from your yard, who, yeah, that should be
3: fine. And didn't uh, they also say – did, but didn't they also say that not to get the first round of snow, wait till the snow filters down through the atmosphere and grab some of the particulate matter before you eat it so you don't eat – the first fall in snow, you wait till it,
1: you know. Sure, but how much snow are you really eating? Like, I feel like all the bad things that we eat, like, snow is probably pretty safe.
0: The technical aspects of eating snow, you heard it here first. It's today in Ohio. How many more people died in Ohio last year than would have been expected if we were not in a pandemic? Lisa, whenever we talk about the numbers of people who have died from the pandemic and in the past year, it's needlessly because it's largely avoidable through vaccines. It's striking. And this is a big number.
3: Yeah. In 2021, there were 17,529 deaths attributed to covid that's out of a total number of deaths of the 146,696. So that's up nearly 25,000 deaths from the yearly average that we have, which usually hovers around like 120, 125. In 2020, we had 13,621 deaths due to COVID out of a total of 143,661 in 2022, so far to date, we've had 831 deaths in Ohio attributable to COVID. Um, But there are other reasons for this. I mean, a lot of them pandemic related, people are delaying care, they're not going to see their primary care provider as much as they would. So health problems are not being caught in an early stage. We had a, you know, big spike in drug overdoses during the pandemic. So uh, these are some of the reasons, you know, other than COVID. But interestingly, Enough, most of the increase was due to natural causes. So like in 2020, in the state, there were 131,000 000- 85 deaths that were due to natural causes. About 16,000 of those here in in Cuyahoga County, but the the numbers it's it's a weird numbers game. I mean, we talked to Summit County Medical Examiner Dr. Lisa Kohler, and she said, you know, because people say, oh, the numbers are inflated, and a lot of people saying, you know, that are anti-vax and anti-mandates are saying, oh, you're inflating the numbers, but um, she said. There are people with comorbidities or coexisting health conditions that are more likely to die of COVID because it's an extra, extra stressor on their system. And there's really no standard of judgment among docs on whether to put COVID on the death certificate. You know, so, yeah, it's, it's you know, the numbers are a little squishy.
0: We're about, what, five weeks away from the second anniversary of when the things really shut down and we're fully two years into this pandemic and i remember back when it first started there were some experts saying that hey we're going to be dealing with this well into 2022 and everybody went oh no like we can't go that long and it's kind of interesting to be on the on the back side of that now looking over the past two years and thinking when does it end i mean we, it just feels like we've we've taken the journey we should be at the destination Hopefully, this Omicron variant is it. That's a lot of lives lost needlessly. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Are the people on the Mayfield Heights City Council Luddites? Why would they oppose building a bike path in the very spacious median of Gates Mills Boulevard when they have the money and the will of most residents? Layla, I don't get this. Mm -hmm. This thing is designed for a big bike path. It's the perfect place for one. Yeah, exactly.
2: Exactly. First of all, I just want to start with a little bit of breaking news. <laughs> Last night, council members were scheduled to vote on whether to spend 112000 on on the detailed design and engineering and administration of this project. But I, I checked in with Steve Litt this morning and he said it failed in a 4-3 vote after a nearly five-hour meeting. So to lead with that on this segment, you know, so Steve reports that it was a vocal minority of residents that have opposed this project and that that tipped some council members against it. The project would turn the grassy, 130-foot-wide median between the boulevards east and westbound lanes into a linear park with an all-purpose trail trail going down the middle. The trail would extend three quarters of a mile across the city's southeast corner between the boulevard intersection at Cedar Avenue and the Somme Center Road traffic. And it it would run through subdivisions that have no sidewalks. So it would be Mm -hmm. very much needed safe place to walk or ride a bike, and it would add trees and drainage, and And future sections of the trail could connect to a new aquatic and community center that's planned to begin construction this summer. But without this, that part of town will remain unreachable to pedestrians or those on bike. And Steve says that that this project also has bigger implications than it seems, apart from you know what it does for the local community. It has the potential to become part of an emerging countywide network of trails that could eventually include 815 miles of bike lanes and off-road trails linking the county's 59 communities to downtown Cleveland, Lake Erie, and, and the parks the trail in Mayfield Heights had firm support from council two years ago Mm -hmm. when the city applied to the clean Ohio trails fund for half a million dollars to build it. And then the suburb received, you know, another half a million and has assembled, you know, they've received the half a million has assembled other funds to pay the full cost. You know, the, the full cost would have been like 778,000. And uh, you know, the Northeast Ohio regional sewer district will provide 149,000 and um, you know, So one council member said he's opposed to the trail because parking spaces were removed from the original design. Which is preposterous. And that that left the trail inaccessible to people with disabilities. Mm -hmm. Steve speculated that perhaps the detractors don't want outsiders using the trail and disturbing the peace. But so dumb to get grant money for a project like this and then turn it away.
0: And here's the thing. I, I, I don't know if you're familiar with this, but whenever I've driven past it, to say it's a median is a misnomer. You could put an amphitheater in there and have a concert. Yeah. It's that wide. Mm-hmm. It's huge. And if you have a bike trail that ends at Mayfield Heights and then picks up again later, you can ride on the road. I mean, the road is is wide on both sides of the median. There's plenty of room for bikes. It just puts them next to cars. So if the goal is racism or keeping out outsiders, it's not going to work. People will still ride through there. I, it's one of the most short-sighted things I've seen a city council do around here in ages. This is the opposite of what we're all aiming for in Northeast yeah. Ohio.
1: When I when I lived on the east side, I used to ride in the median of Shaker Boulevard a lot because all through Beechwood they have that beautiful park Mm -hmm. there that goes all the way to Pepper Pike. And Mm -hmm. I mean, I think there's. 4 miles of trails probably in there so this does seem like something that other places have done and have had no problems with but then was it just last fall there was the lake road one in the edgewater neighborhood of cleveland that people were yeah widening the, the sidewalk
3: yeah it sure was yeah
1: all this nimbyism it's i i, I don't really understand
2: it how, how but can, I, but it's so crazy how can like a a multi-purpose trail
3: you know, connect to NIMBYism. Well, <laughs> Not my backyard. Are you going to put a multi purpose yard? Because right? <laughs> they see, well, and making it easy for pedestrians, they I feel know. like it, it's a crime thing. They say, oh, we have more people walking. That's why they don't have sidewalks there. They don't want people walking in their neighborhood. You know, they don't. Hey, but oh, this,
0: this median is so wide is, yeah. that the people who would be on that trail would be nowhere close to the houses. I mean, that that's mm-hmm. the thing. This is, it's just a huge waste of space. And I'm surprised that it continues. So
2: Steve, Steve told me this morning that there's still hope the city might reverse its decision if Pepper Pike gets an ODNR grant to build a connecting segment. So he's at least uh, half, you know, glass half
0: full on this. <laughs> crazy. You're listening to Today in Ohio, and that does it for a Tuesday discussion. Thanks, Lisa, Layla, Laura. Thank you to everybody who listens to the podcast. Come back tomorrow when we'll have Seth Richardson on to talk about some politics.